Hey friends, this is Linda and you're listening to Calling Water, where we examine a part of scripture to learn more about what it means and what it calls us to do. In today's episode, Acts of Favoritism, we're looking at what Proverbs chapter 22 and James chapter 2 both have to say about showing partiality and how playing favorites is, in fact, a serious offense against God. Let's get started. Growing up, I used to love reading Aesop's fables. I mean, technically, every story has a moral to be gained from it, but none as obvious and pointed as in Aesop's fables. The beauty of these short stories is that they are succinct and to the point such that you can't miss the lesson to be learned. For example, the tortoise and the hare, slow and steady, wins the race. The ant and the grasshopper, there's a time for play and a time for work. The wind and the sun, persuasion is better than force. And if you've never heard of any of these stories before, feel free to hit pause and do a quick Google search before you continue. In Proverbs, though, which is the premier book on wisdom in the Bible, we don't get a cute little story to accompany each wise saying. Most of the Proverbs are standalone nuggets of wisdom, as though someone was just jotting down these words in a bullet journal over time. In this way, the book of Proverbs is different in that it's not a book that comes from revelation from God per se, but more so notes made from experience and observation. Now, have you ever received unsolicited advice from someone? Of course you have. We all have. Typically, it comes from someone older than yourself who claims to have gone through what you're going through and can offer you pro tips on how to navigate your situation. Now, whether you appreciated their input or just dismissed it as nagging, we have to admit that there is some wisdom that only comes from experience. That's why the book of Proverbs, even though they are not revelatory in nature, they're still considered inspired words. Solomon, who is credited by tradition as the author of Proverbs, says he has seen everything under the sun and stands by the fact that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And regardless of how he decided to live his life, the adages that are collected in this book are trustworthy because they are based on the premise of having a right relationship with God. So what do the verses mean? We're going to be taking a look at three specific couplets in Proverbs chapter 22, and they all have to do with favoritism. Well, they don't really use that word explicitly, but they juxtapose the rich and the poor, which is an effective illustration to show that one group is favored while the other is often neglected. But this applies to more than the disparity between people of different socioeconomic statuses. It speaks to all the ways we try to draw a line between groups of any category. And the Bible is speaking against the ways we divide ourselves down the middle. Because guess what? Favoritism is just another word for injustice. Now let's start with verses 1 through 2 that say, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. 
A good name might at first glance sound like fame, being well known and widely respected, but that is not necessarily the case here. What a good name refers to is someone with honor and integrity. By saying that a good name is more desirable than great riches, this proverb is getting at the fact that often in the pursuit of great riches, we put our integrity on the line. This means that in order to get ahead, we compromise ourselves. We fudge the numbers on our taxes. We kiss up to people we mock behind their backs because they're the ones with influence. I mean, we call it networking, but all we're really doing is giving more voice to people who don't deserve a platform, and we lose ourselves in the process. Well, does this mean that anyone who is wealthy and powerful has no integrity? Of course not. But it shows us what we should strive for and how. Because it's not a bad thing to want to do well for yourself, but if you are sacrificing your values and compromising your character to get there, then ultimately it is not worth it. But the second verse says, regardless of your status, the Lord is the maker of us all. Now this is both a humbling and hopeful statement. Humbling to know that You are not more favored in the eyes of God because you made it somehow. You're not better than anyone else. But it's also hopeful because we might beat ourselves up for not being where we want to be in life. But in the eyes of God, that doesn't even matter. And if that doesn't sound comforting to you, that's because you're still seeing yourself through the eyes of people. Maybe you're not as successful as you thought you would be by now. Maybe you're not living the dream, whatever that might be to you. But if you have held on to your good name, as the Bible says, you are doing great. Now we're going to skip ahead to verses 8 through 9 because we find further instances of favoritism gone wrong here. Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, and the rod they wield in fury will be broken. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Whoever sows injustice means whoever shows partiality, whoever plays favorites. This speaks to people who cause division and spread discord. People with a very clear us versus them mentality. I mean, we've seen instances of this kind of divisiveness in these past few years in crazy amounts. Everyone lately is fighting about everything, about things that shouldn't even cause such debate. For goodness sake, when did vaccinations become such a polarizing topic? Am I right? And This is why the church itself is as divided as it's ever been right now, isn't it? The body of Christ, who is supposed to be united by the shared experience of Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection, is instead arguing over every issue on the docket. We're not even agreed about what scripture tells us anymore, and are engaged in hateful Twitter wars, each side so certain that they are undeniably right. But participating and spreading injustice and favoritism in this way, Proverbs chapter 22 verse 8 tells us that the rod they wield in fury will be broken. 
And while the text does not explicitly say this, I firmly believe that it means it will be broken over their own heads. Because those who sow hatred really do bring disaster on themselves. And then verse 9 reminds us that the generous will be blessed for they share their food with the poor. Now, this is not just talking about charity, although that is a part of it too. This is talking about people who are welcoming and embracing and giving of their time and resources to people who might not see eye to eye with them. They are blessed because instead of promoting division, they are peacemakers. And finally, in verses 22 through 23, we find out what God thinks about those who continue to sow these seeds of injustice and favoritism. It says, Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. God will not sit idly by and allow the weak and defenseless to be oppressed. This verse tells us that if we as human actors will not do our part in protecting and standing up for the marginalized, God himself will act as their defense attorney and will win because, oh yeah, he's also the judge. Whenever we hear of injustice, we do get angry and rightfully so, but it is especially heinous when the same things happen to people who are already incapacitated in some way. Robin Hood, though a thief, is hailed as a hero because he took from the rich and gave to the poor. Now, I'm not endorsing this, by the way. Stealing is wrong. But imagine that Robin Hood, in fact, stole from people who were barely making ends meet and were taking care of sick family members. That Robin Hood would have been wanted by everyone. Now, that's kind of what this verse is getting at. It's so very common sense that it's a wonder it even needed to be said. Yeah, don't exploit the poor. Don't hurt people who are already hurting. Duh, right? And yet, it was happening enough for this to be included as a wise saying in this book. In today's landscape, I would probably compare this to victim blaming. Whenever we hear a bit of news about someone's misfortune, How many of us are guilty of thinking, well, they probably did something to deserve that, right? We heard a woman got mugged. Well, she probably shouldn't have been carrying an expensive handbag. Homeless guy on the street. He probably had a drug problem. Husband cheated on his wife. Well, the wife probably drove him to do it just by being a terrible spouse. Black guy got shot by the cops. Well, he probably shouldn't have been running in a hoodie at night. Where is the compassion? Because that is the way we combat the injustices that result from favoring one people group or even one story over another. All of these verses we just read, 1, 2, 8, 9, 22, and 23, teach us favoritism isn't just something that happens when you stand by your favorite sports team or if you always suspected your mom liked your brother a little more than she likes you. These are conscious choices we make to side with and privilege one group over another by whatever category, wealth, race, religion, gender, and what have you. And that is dangerous. 
James chapter 2 verse 1 tells us emphatically, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. But I particularly love the NRSV translation that phrases it in the form of a question like this. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Yeah, that has more of a kick to it, right? And these acts of favoritism, according to Proverbs chapter 22, are celebrating someone's status despite their lack of integrity, spreading division and hate, and antagonizing and oppressing the marginalized. Basically, anytime we treat a people or an individual unfairly, the book of James is asking us if we really are followers of Christ as we say we are. To put it plainly, even if you've been a Christian your whole life and you've never missed a day of church, you tithe regularly, you lead Bible study, you pray at all times, you donate to homeless shelters, and yet you think, Certain people groups should get deported, or others should be denied civic rights, or refugees should not be allowed in our country. Listen to this again. Do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Because let's remember, Jesus was a friend to everyone who was marginalized in every possible way. People of low-income status, people with disabilities, kids with special needs, women, orphans, demon-possessed even. The affections of Jesus knew no socioeconomic or classist boundaries. He loved all of them equally, since as Proverbs chapter 22 verse 2 reminds us, the Lord is the maker of them all. So, Armed with this word of wisdom today to eliminate acts of favoritism from your faith and practice, what are you called to do? How will you take your wisdom, relative wealth, strength, your good name to bridge the gap between the haves and have-nots, to advocate on behalf of those who routinely are not favored? Because we make so many dichotomies and we dogmatically want to box ourselves in one or the other. Rich versus poor, citizens versus illegal immigrants, Democrats versus Republicans, Christians versus non-Christians, Lakers versus Clippers. But our God, our Lord Jesus, is not on any of those sides. Going back to Aesop's fables, each of the stories are designed to make you side with one of the characters, right? The tortoise, the ants, and the sun, they're heroes and they're wise. The hare, the grasshopper, and the wind, losers. But what if the tortoise had woken up the hare and finished the race together? What if the ants had shared their food with the grasshopper? Because that is the way Jesus loved, with compassion and grace. And that is how he wants us to love today. Let's pray. God, we read in James chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. 
But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. We confess today that yes, we have sinned and have broken your law. Even without being fully aware of these sins, we have compromised our integrity for gain. We have participated in causing conflicts and prejudices. We have blamed those who are already down on their luck for their misfortune, rather than embracing them with compassion and empathy. Forgive us, God, and continue to teach us how to love the way you love. Though we may not be able to do so perfectly, help us to strive to be a people who are a more authentic representation of your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.